0: Uh, Take your Bible and open it to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be there in a moment, Ephesians chapter 1, and then I want you to open your notebook because we're going to be writing some things in that notebook, and uh, if you didn't get one, we still have a few left there at the back on the table, Uh, we want you to, to have one of those. Discipleship begins, the model that I like to use, discipleship begins about abiding in Christ, living in Christ, pulling our our vital life-giving union from Christ. But what does that mean, uh, to be in Christ? You see, that's a technical term that Paul actually developed, though the truths of it are throughout the Old Testament as well. But Paul coined that phrase, in Christ, to help us understand something. Now, when you came to the point of salvation, you asked Jesus to come into your heart, Christ to come into you, and that's absolutely true, absolutely true. Christ is in me, no question about that whatsoever. But something else happened that you were not as aware of at the same time. You were taken into Christ. Christ came into you, but you were also taken into Christ. And because you were in Christ, there are some things that are true about you that we need to grasp. And as we meditate on these things, as we grow in these things that are true about us, because we're in Christ, we're fellowshipping with him, we're abiding in him, we're drawing the life-giving union and identity from him. So I want to take a little time tonight to talk about that phrase, in Christ, and for you to begin to experience what that means. In Ephesians chapter 1, let's read the first couple of verses together, and then I'm going to give you an assignment. Paul, an apostle of the Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Will you underline that phrase, in Christ Jesus? He is writing to believers. He's writing to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So what he's going to say in all of this epistle, but especially in these next few few verses, has to do with what it means to be in Christ. So we're going to really perk our ears up right here to understand what that means. If I were teaching Ephesians, I would tell you here's how it's laid out. The first three chapters, Paul talks about theology. He talks about the reality of who we are in Christ. And then the third three chapters, the second three chapters, four, five, and six, he talks about what does that look like? How do we live that out and flesh that out? So as I teach that book, that's how it naturally divides itself. So he wants to, he's writing to the people who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let's look what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul's typical salutation, uh, most every letter, he he starts with that. And then beginning with verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see that phrase there again. Now, in these first uh, three chapters, 27 times he uses that phrase, in Christ, in Jesus, in Him They're all intermingling the same. So here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to give you about three minutes to do this. I want you to read verse 4 down through verse 14, and in your notebook, write down the answer to this. What is true about me because I am in Christ? What is true about me because I am in Christ? I'm starting my stopwatch. You've got three minutes. Go. Okay, just a couple more seconds. All right. Look this way. Uh, somebody was coming in. They said, I feel like I'm in a college class. And I said, well, yeah, there'll be a test at the end. No, there won't. There won't be a test really at the end. But I, I hope you began to experience something. We're going to go over all of these verses in a moment. So you'll, you know, you'll, you'll catch up if you didn't get it all done. Here's what I want you to grasp. Paul initially starts this letter to these people he loves so very much, who is a broad, different background people uh, in the church here at Ephesus. Uh, Very few were already Jews. Most of them were from all kinds of different faiths, and and they'd come into into, uh, relationship with Christ, but he wanted them to know who they were, their identity, what was true about them now that they were in Christ. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, letter to enjoy. Here's what I want you to see. In these these, uh, 10 verses that you were just working on, 11 verses you were just working on, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it says that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. So God the Father blesses us, God the Son blesses us, and God the Holy Spirit blesses us as well. And it all wraps around who we are in Christ The Father chose us in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ chose us as his child the moment he died upon the cross. Holy Spirit claimed us into the family of God the moment we expressed our faith in him. All three are engaged here. So I want us to look, and this is a little interactive. I'm going to ask you to do some things here tonight. I want us to see, first of all, that we're blessed by the Father. That's verses 4 through 6. We're blessed by the Father. Turn to somebody and say, God has blessed you. Do it right now. God has blessed you. Yes, He has. How has He blessed me? Here is the key word, chosen. The key word is chosen. Look at verse 4. He has chosen us. And this is the doctrine of election. I'm not going to get into all of this right now. That is far too big a subject to get into right now. But I want you to see that this doesn't mean that God says, I choose you, didn't choose you, choose you, didn't choose you. It's not that. Look what it says. We are chosen in Christ. What he tells us is here is the process. Here is the means by which you identify as the chosen because you enter into Christ. Christ. And it was the process of how we're saved that was determined from the foundation of the world instead of individually. But God in his foreknowledge knew who individually would partner with him in, and, and that would come and to hear the gospel and would receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. He determined the means by which we were saved. Salvation is all of God. It's, it's all about what God has done. Our part is to receive what he has offered to us. And those who he foreknew those are the ones that He has chosen and predestined in Christ. So first of all, we're chosen in Him. Secondly, verse 5, we are adopted. He has adopted us into His family. This is one of my favorite concepts because i myself and I'm adopted. And you see, when, when you're adopted, you know that that man and woman who chose you, chose you. <laughs> they didn't have to have you, okay? It wasn't some kind of accident. All of a sudden, whoops, well, I guess we got another one. No, they chose you. So adoption is part of being chosen. But why it's important, listen, you don't become a member of God's family by Him adopting you. Now I know we do in our our world, that's how that happens. You become a member of God's family by regeneration, by the new birth, by being born again. That's how you enter into the family. So what does the adoption mean? Well it's this, okay, if a child inherits his father's wealth He doesn't get to go out and spend money. He has to wait until he reaches of age, whatever that age happens to be, 18, 21. It depends on how the trust or how the will was made up. So he's not as an adult, okay? But an adoption, you are immediately given the status of an adult. You immediately have access to all of the inheritance, all that is true about you. So the adoption, what God did in this is, yes, you've got to grow up and mature in your faith. Absolutely. But you are given absolute uh, access to every one of the promises of God, bam, immediately, when you're born into the family of God. Because at that time... God adopts you into his holy family as a fellow heir. You remember that phrase that we're fellow heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this is what it means. You're an adult heir. You can tap into the resources immediately, and you don't have to wait till you grow and you've been with the Lord, you know, five years or ten years or eighteen years, twenty-one years, or what. No, there is no age limit. In adoption, you are immediately given adult status and total access to all that you inherit because you are in Christ. Now, there's so much more about adoption I'd love to go into, but our time is limited here tonight. I just want to hit some high points as we go. Verse 6 says, We are accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. You know, there's no way that you and I can make ourselves acceptable to God in our own resources. And in in all uh, of who we are, because we are by very nature and by very choice sinners, we can never be acceptable to God. We can't do enough to ever be accepted by Him. But when He takes us into Christ, when we put on Christ, the Scripture says we are accepted in the Beloved. Because you are in Christ, you are accepted by God as much as His very only begotten Son is accepted. Now, you may not have never struggled with acceptance. Uh, I happened to, one of the maladies that I, that I became addicted to uh, was performance-based acceptance syndrome. Now, unless you're a counselor, you don't know exactly what that means. But what that means is I found my identity, I found my worth and my value as a person in pleasing people and living up to their expectations. Well, that's an incredible power to put in somebody else's hand. It really is. Because then they're in complete control of your identity. They're in complete control of, of, of you feeling good about yourself, okay? And so it was very important to me to, to be accepted. And, and I would do whatever I had to do and be whatever I had to be to be accepted. Now, that's, that's an addiction, folks. That's something that you need counseling for, you need help for. That's a malady that you need to get over. And I had to go through uh, therapy. I had to learn that who I was in Christ, And that my acceptance was already done for me in Jesus Christ. And he is the one that I had to please, but he was already pleased because of who I am in Jesus Christ. And that acceptance was so very, very important to me. And it took such a load off of me that I could just fulfill who I am in Christ. And and I wasn't empowering people to control me. I can remember as a very, very young pastor, uh, uh, my congregation was, uh, was about 80 at the time and I could have preached my heart out here and 79 people could have walked out the door and said, oh, I have never in my life heard such a grander, better sermon in the world. And one person would come out and say, mm, 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 mm. And I was devastated. I mean, I was literally devastated because somebody had not accepted my offer. Uh, you know, when you preach the Word of God and somebody disagrees with that, that's between them and God. It's not between them and the preacher. And you need, uh, teachers, you need to keep that in mind. Deacons, you need to keep that in mind. All of our ministers do too, as well. Now, we can't, cut, we can't uh, baptize the Word of God in Fred. It has to be the pure Word of God. But here is the essence. You and I are totally accepted in the Beloved. Now, kind of give you a little nugget in here? The word accepted is built off of the Greek word charis. Does anybody does that ring a bell with anybody does anybody know what that root means caris can anybody tell me okay it means grace that's the greek word for grace and this word acceptance here here is literally we are be graced in the beloved we are immersed in grace we are baptized in grace and that means we're totally completely accepted even as Christ was accepted in the beloved. So here's here's how we're blessed by the Father. We're chosen. We're chosen in Him. We're adopted in Him. We're begraced. We're accepted in Him. But now let's go a little further. We are also blessed by the Son. Turn to somebody and say, Jesus has blessed you. Do it. Jesus has blessed you. Indeed, He has. Here's the key word. Ready for the key word? Here's the key word. Redeemed. Redeemed. Verse 7, he has redeemed us. Now, now, redeemed is, is, is a powerful, powerful thing. Again, all of this is doctrine. I could spend a whole, you know, session just on dealing with each and every one of these individually. I'm old enough to remember S&H green stamps. How many remember SNH green stamps? The rest of you, let me tell you, you don't miss anything. That's the yuckiest glue that's ever existed, all right? And I can remember that and putting those in the books with my grandmother and my mother. S&H green stamps, you got them when you went to the, gro- to the grocery store, you collected them in books. When you had a certain number of the books, you could go redeem them for whatever it was that, you know, you wanted to trade them in for, a coffee pot, a pop-up toaster, whatever it happened to be. And, and there was a huge warehouse to where, you know, you could choose various things to redeem your coupons for. What is that? They were redeeming, that. they were taking and, and paying a price for something. Now, I'll tell you, those... The uh, stamps were not given to you. <laughs> they were included in the price of everything you bought, all right? But you, you, had, you purchased them. What redemption means is to pay a high price for something, to buy it, okay? You and I, the Scripture tells us, we're dead, not only dead in our trespasses and sins, we were slaves to a sinful lifestyle. And what Jesus literally did is he bought us, we were a slave and he bought us off the slave block of sin. What was the price he paid? His very own blood, his very life. So he paid this high, enormous price to buy us off of the slave block of sin that we could th- then he could turn back around and release us. Now, in, in Jesus' day in the Roman Empire, uh, slaves were more numerous than citizens. As a matter of fact, at one time, there were two-thirds slaves in the empire, and one-third Roman citizens. Okay, it was, it was huge, the number. And I'm not promoting slavery in this. Don't misunderstand. I want you to hear see what's coming on here. Occasionally, a master would free a slave. But many times, those slaves did not have a marketable skill. They did not have a means by which they could go out and, and join the workforce and be able to, to uh, take care of themselves and a the family. So most of the time, they ended up selling themselves back into slavery in some form or the other. Okay. Now, when Jesus bought you and I as slaves off the slave blocks of sin, we had nothing to redeem ourselves with. But guess what? He adopted us into his family and all of the riches of heaven are ours so we don't have to worry about earning a living. It's been provided for us already. And here is our redemption, a difference in the redemption. But our adoption is what provides for us The income, if you please, to be able to live in a redeemed lifestyle. Redemption, huge, huge word. We'll deal with that more later, but let's go on. Not only are we redeemed, verse 7 says we are forgiven. Forgiven. The word literally means to be carried away, to to be done away with entirely. And that's what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. He literally carried our sins away. He took them away. The Scripture has some beautiful pictures about what that means, that, that we're buried in the sea, uh, that, that God remembers them no more. There's some powerful, powerful pictures and images of what that means. But to be forgiven literally means, that in redemption together means paid in full. Now, when you finally pay off your car or your truck and you get the pink slip, there's, there's a stamp at the bottom of it. <laughs> and it says, paid in full. Boy, don't you like that when you pay off your home? You you know, I would say when you pay off a charge card, but I don't know if we ever do that. But, you know, we, we get that stamp that says paid in full. That means nothing left is owed. So in Christ, we owe nothing. We are totally and totally debt free when it comes to sin. And that's who you are in Christ. Not because you've lived such a good life. Not because you've never done anything wrong. Or not because you haven't done anything wrong since you were saved. This is all bestowed upon us simply because we are in Christ. And that's how part of this redemption that Christ brings to us. Look down to verse 10. Excuse me, verse 8 and 9. Here's something else who we are in Christ. He has revealed his will to us. He's revealed his will to us. As you go on reading Ephesians, this is one of the, uh, Paul's letters that is so wonderful to help us uh, understand what God's will is for our lives. And he uses a word m- many times in Ephesians, he uses the word mystery. Here we've had this mystery revealed to us. Now, you know uh, what a mystery. I-, I, love, I love mysteries. I love mystery books and mystery movies and all like that. And what it is, you're trying to figure out the whodunit, you know, who's behind this or how did this work or whatever the case may be. And then at the end of the book, the end of the movie, it's all revealed to you, right? Well, here's, here's what Paul says. There is a mystery that's there in the Old Testament. It's been there for all of these generations. But now in this time, this mystery has been revealed to us. To those who are who are, are believers today, those who are Christ's followers today, the mystery has finally been revealed to us. You say, huh? What mystery? What is the mystery? God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That's what Paul says. It's basically the gospel. That from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and Revelation wasn't even written at this time, but the whole of holy history, the whole of God's purpose is the redemption of mankind. It's the gospel. And that's powerful. I'm are sharing Sunday that, that this, this mystery has been entrusted to somebody. You're going to have to get to Sunday to find out what that means. But the mystery is God has always had it in his mind to redeem people to himself and bring people home to heaven. It's always been his will. And that's in verse 8 and 9. Verse 10, that he has a promise that he's going to gather everything together in him. An amazing thing is spoken in, in Colossians 1 and verse 17. Colossians 1.17 says that in Christ, all things are held together. Everything has cohesiveness in Christ. All of creation is held together in Christ. Now, I want you to understand something. Go with me into the science lab for a moment. Go with me when you were learning some things about physics years and years ago. You remember studying about the atom atom? Uh, and now we can go much further than that. But the, the atom, the atom has a uh, in, in its nucleus, it has protons and neutrons. Remember, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah. And then zipping around outside are these electrons. Now the neutrons have a negative; they have no charge whatsoever. But the protons have a, a positive charge. But they're all clustered together. Now, what happens when you take a magnet and you take the two positive poles and you try to hold them together? What happens? They repel one another. That positive electromagnetic charges repel one another. And yet, the nucleus of the atom stays together. Though they're all charged the same. Everything in physics says it shouldn't. And even today, you ask those who study this, what is it that holds all this together? Because it's held tightly together. And, and, you know, if you want to release energy, you split one atom and all this energy is released. Because of all the energy it takes to hold one atom together. Christ is physically holding you together right now because in him every atom in your body is held together now when we see pictures of the end time how things are going to come to an end one day and the earth burning up as in fervent heat physicists said that looks like atomic fission and fusion it does because one day the father is going to say son let go He's holding everything together right now. He's holding me together right now. And some of us, we'd already be flying apart at the seams if he wasn't holding us together, right? Exactly. And so what he says is not only is he holding everything together right now, but the day will come in the end of times he's going to gather all of his people together. Oh, that's going to be a day, isn't it? When all the redeemed of all of the ages is going to be together, you know. And all of the times I've preached on Paul and Peter and John, I'm going to have to go apologize to every one of them. But he's going to have us all together in that day that we all the redeemed of all of the ages. He's going to gather it together. And who is he going to gather together? Those who are in Christ. We have that promise and assurance that we're going to see our loved ones and we're going to know Moses and all the rest of those because we are in Christ. And one more thing that Jesus does in verses 11 and 12, and that is He has made us an inheritance. Now, I want you to write that down and then I want you to listen to me. You have an inheritance in Christ, but you are an inheritance in Christ. Now, these are two entirely different things. And and, and what... Paul is talking about right now, is not the inheritance you have in Christ. That's all of these other things he's been talking about. He's talking about you are an inheritance in Christ. What's this mean? Okay. God the Father had God the Son to come to earth. And he shared those three years. And as he is is praying before he goes to the cross... He says this, Father, every person that you have been given to me, I have not lost a single one of them. And I present them to you in me. You see, you and I are the offering the Son gives the Father. You and I are the inheritance because look at the price he paid for us, his very blood. You see, an inheritance is not always a stack of money. Sometimes it's something that's just very important to us. Uh, I, I've got a watch at home that I dearly, dearly love. It. it belonged to my grandfather. It doesn't work anymore, but I ain't letting nobody touch it, okay? It doesn't work anymore. It, it, it wouldn't be worth a plug nickel to you, but it's invaluable to me because that belonged to my grandfather, and, and I sense his presence when I hold it. I mean, I know he's with Jesus, but I just sense his presence when I hold it. It's valuable to me. Your value is not in your own ability to do anything for God. You're as innate as that broken watch is to me. But it's the value he places on you because of what he paid for you. You want to know how much you're worth to God the Father? You're worth Jesus to God the Father. Because that's what he was willing to pay for you. Whew, I just just had a flash, Okay. All right. So, the blessing we have from Jesus Christ, the Son, is all wrapped up in his redemption. But one more. We're also blessed by the Spirit. Now, turn to somebody and say, Holy Spirit has blessed you. Holy Spirit, say it. Holy Spirit has blessed you. We're blessed by the Father. We're blessed by the Son. But we're also blessed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13 and 14. Uh, uh, it says right here that he has sealed us. I, I, I love this, th- this passage. I often will use this when I'm, I'm talking to somebody about coming to faith in Christ because the whole, the whole way of accepting Christ is right here in this verse. First, the sinner hears the gospel. He, he hears the gospel of his salvation. And secondly, he understands that it's for him. It, it's the gospel for him to hear. And third, he trusts in that gospel. He trusts in that gospel. And once he's trusted in that gospel, look here, then he is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What is this sealing all about? I want to give you four things that will make you happy in the middle of the night. It may take you that long for it to really sink in because I know I'm going fast tonight. Four things, quickly. First of all, a seal meant a finished transaction. And it's like that rubber stamp, paid in full, okay? The seal of Holy Spirit says, this is a finished transaction. This person is eternally a child of God. That sealing means paid in full. So it's a finished transaction. Secondly, it's ownership. Now, in in Jesus', Jesus day, in Paul's day, uh, and if you'll remember the... Uh, Remember the story of the prodigal son? You'll see this here. People in wealthy families would have something called a signet ring. A signet ring. And on that ring would be the family crest or mark or whatever the case may be. And and every adult in that family who had been entrusted with the wealth of the family had one of those rings. And to transact business... You know, if it was a deed or a document or a bill of sale, they drop a little wax on it, and then they put the family crest down on top of it, and that made it ownership. This, this showed ownership. And so when the prodigal son became home, remember they said, get shoes for his feet, get a robe around him, and put the family ring back on his hand. Because it's a mark he is entitled to everything in the family has. So it, it, the seal, the Holy Spirit seal, is a mark of ownership. And third, it's a, a mark of security and protection. Security and protection. When Jesus laid in the tomb, they rolled the stone there, but then remembered that some of the, the, the rulers went and told Pilate, uh, uh, you know, that we've heard this story, that, you know, he may rise again, some of his, uh, his followers may come and steal the body. So what did they do? They sealed the tomb. They, they, they put a wax on it, and the emperor's seal was placed on it. Now, you would literally be defying Rome if you broke that seal. Of course, the Holy spirit, spirit didn't care very much. He popped it anyhow. But it was a seal of security and ownership. Holy Spirit is a seal on us of ownership and protection. I want you to know that you can't see that seal on one another. But in the spirit realm... Every demon in hell looks at you and says, that one belongs to God because Holy Spirit is emblazoned that seal on your forehead. You can't see it, but every angel can and every demon can because Holy Spirit put it there. Sealed. And one more thing. It's also a form of authenticity. You know, in my earlier years, and some of you experienced this, uh, if, if a product uh, wanted to really get, be sold, they would get a, a, a seal. How many of you remember the Good Housekeeping Seal of Approval? How many of you remember that? Some of you are old enough, too. Uh, what that means was this organization would test this unit out, and they would try it out, and they would say, yep, this is exactly what it says it was. It works the way that it, it says it does, and it was their seal of authenticity. It really works on the Holy Spirit. Part of what? how yeah, he blesses us is he seals us as a finished attraction, owned by God, secure and protected in him, and authentically a child of God. This is what he does. And one last thing, verse 14. This is how Holy Spirit blesses us. He is the down payment of everything that God has promised us. He's the down payment. The old King James, you may be reading the King James Bible, you may see the word earnest. He is the earnest of the Father. And, and if you've made a major uh, purchase, and you probably have in your life, you were re- required to put down earnest money, or you were required to put down a down payment. And that was a pretty hefty percentage of the overall price of whatever it was you were buying, but it was a promise that, okay, I'm paying you this much now, and it's a promise that every other payment is going to come until I have finished paying this off. Holy Spirit is the down payment in our lives. That everything God has promised will be ours now and forever. He is that down payment and that assurance. So we're blessed by the Father, we're blessed by the Son, we're blessed by Holy Spirit. I wanted you to just see in one place how you have this machine gun uh, of all of these blessings of who we are in Christ. There's a lot of other places for it. As you came in, I hope you picked up this full-size piece of paper. Okay, if you didn't, get one as you leave. they're here. I don't know if there are any on this over here or not. But you get one as you leave. I want you to have this. I I worked through this over a period of several months. And this is all through the Bible, but especially in the New Testament, who I am in Christ. I I want you to use this as a devotional thought. I want you to take one or two of these or three of these, four of these, whatever you want to, depends on how happy you want to get, and read the Scripture passages. And and understand, if I'm going to abide in Christ, I'm living in who I am in Christ, and I'm drawing my identity. I'm drawing my acceptance. I'm drawing everything. I'm drawing because of who I am in Christ. So to abide in Him means we to draw our life essence from Him. Well, it helps to understand what in Christ means to know what it is we're drawing. And so I want you to meditate on this over the course of the next week or so. And just let Holy Spirit bless you. Just let Holy Spirit bless you. Understand, I didn't do anything to deserve this. This is not mine because I've done anything whatsoever to warrant it. This is totally the grace and mercy of God operating in my life. You're going to get happy over this. I guarantee you. Gosh, time gets gone in such a hurry. Will you join me? Let's pray together. Father, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you one more time that not only is Jesus in me, but I am in Him. Not only is Christ in me, but I am in in Him. And I'm just overwhelmed. We've We've been sipping water out of a fire hydrant turned wide open here tonight trying to grasp all of the reality of who we are because we're in you. Yes, you're in us. And a lot of things is true about that because you're in us. But now we're learning, wow, there's a whole world of who we are in you. And we want to learn to abide in that. That this is truth about us. And we want to learn to live in that truth. That we are accepted in you. That we have been begraced in you. That we're adopted in you. Redeemed in you. And sealed. That nothing in hell can change that. God get us happy. Just understanding. Just this first little bit of what it means to follow you. To follow you means to believe your word. And to let your word dwell in us richly. So Lord, over these next days and weeks and as long as it takes us to to go over this this one little lesson right here, fill us to overflowing with who we are in you. And we'll thank you for that even now because we know it's going to be rich. Watch over us as we travel and thank you for our night. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you tonight.